0: Welcome to On Trial, starring Mark Rattelich, also starring Sean Comer.
1: Hope you're ready, Hollywood, because you're
0: on trial.
2: All rise. Court is now in session. The Honorable Judge Judy presiding. This is on trial. We change the judge every time. I've done, judge, <laughs> judge Judy, Judge Fudge, I, whatever I come up with. Um, this, judge judge Mills
1: Lane. Ju, exactly. Judge Wapner. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, the podcast where we debate the merits of movies far and wide, good and bad, black and blue. And I am joined by just a gang of people here tonight. Just just utter nonsense. Uh, This is the Life is Like a Game Show crew headed up by
0: Eric Watson. How you doing, sir? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. It's one of those nights I've had the weekend really to recover, as it were. Which, yeah, if anybody saw anything as like point of view or stuff... I needed it.
2: Indeed, <laughs> I'm also joined by my fellow indie cider, uh, the Heartbreak Kid. Which way? Yeah, no. Which one big are you? Big sexy, big sexy Harry. I'll remember it someday. Big sexy Harry Broadhurst. How do you do, sir?
1: <laughs> What's going on?
2: Hi, everybody. And, uh, and joining us also, uh, he does dual duty here. He does the um, what is the League of Legends show and uh, life is like a game show brian espinoza how do you do sir yes
3: yeah, so that would be league to the backs or whatever
2: sometimes <laughs> heavier on the whatever
3: sometimes not uh, that is the fan- most fantastic podcast uh, name I've <laughs> elementary my dear watkins it started as an inside joke and it grew <laughs> on the
2: two of us and we're like you know what screw it that's what we're gonna name the show moving forward <laughs> Did I really call you Watson? Sorry, walking It's late, man. I've worked like thirty-six hours.
0: Um, it's and- not the first time that's happened. Trust me. He's been called worse, especially on these podcasts. And finally, <laughs> on this on this endless panel of
2: guests, I've got Jonathan Nielsen. How do you do, sir?
4: Doing all right. Yeah, life is like game shows. Pretty much the only place you catch me around here. Must have a distant, voice somewhere else. When uh, someone else is not going to be seen tonight.
2: Yes, as I recall, his point of viewers show is Eric surrounded by the ghosts of Christmas past and disembodied voices and whatnot.
0: Essentially, they help keep me sane, (laughs) (laughs) mostly-ish.
2: On the docket tonight is Quiz Show, the 1994 historical mystery drama film directed by Robert Redford, uh, dramatizing the 21 Quiz Show scandals of the 1950s. It stars... John Turturro, Rob Morrow, Ralph Fiennes, David Pamer, and Paul Schofield. And uh, Eric Watkins cornered me in a d- dark alley and uh, put a knife to my throat and said, listen, pal, you th- you know rent's not free on this here W2M <laughs> network. you got to pay the bills, kid. And I went, all right, sir, what do you need? And he's like, we need to come on your show, like the NWO, and take over. I'm like, okay. And he said, we're doing
0: quiz show. Eric, why are we doing quiz show? Well, Funny that you should mention that we at Life is Like a Game Show, one of our big things that we mentioned was the major scandals, especially surrounding 21 in the 50s. We're talking all kinds of fixing, congressional hearings, laws that came up because of this. And really, the game show Jean did not exist for decades after this. So I remembered they did a movie about this. I remember watching this during my childhood and teenage years. I know someone who does movie reviews. I have rank. I need to reach out. <laughs> and here we
2: are. So, Brian, I'll go to you first. Uh, did you watch this contemporaneously in 1994? Had you seen it after or not seen it until we decided to review this? If I watched this in 1994, it would have been a shock because I was only four years old. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> old. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and I don't want them painted. All right, so I'm guessing you didn't watch it when you were four. Mom didn't put this on for you. She's like, Listen, I'm going to need you to turn off the Bigfoot and the Muscle Machines. You're watching this. <laughs>
3: yeah, no, it's we we're, weren't turning off Arthur to watch Ralph Fiennes.
2: <laughs> Perfect.
3: Uh, so uh, I can like see it I, 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 um, I don't remember the first time I saw Quiz. I think it was in high school. So, like, early 2000s.
2: Okay. Uh, go over to you, Harry. When's the first time you see this movie? Last Sunday, when we
1: were originally going to
2: review it. A- oh, <laughs> that's right. You're another one who never watches movies. you got, like, one thing you do, and that's it.
1: Yeah, wrestling's kind of my shtick. And if you know anything about me, it's that I'm full of shtick, especially on this network. So, <laughs> do be
2: Eric- facts, though.
1: It do be facts, <laughs> So when, okay,
0: first of all, I thought we agreed. We would keep the gimmick infringement to a minimum. Look, a I, didn't, I didn't
2: get that memo. Look, I don't mind if you get high. Just don't get us demonetized. That's all I care about. Um, um, so what you're saying is, is I have to watch my language. Got gotcha. you. I mean, you know, if we could keep the racial slurs and whatnot down to a dull roar. That's, uh, a, that's a POV <laughs> specialty. You're good. Okay, terrific. Anyway, um... <laughs> So you watch this for the first time, Harry, and then I'll go over to you, Jonathan. Uh, What's you, just your initial impressions? Um, you, you, When Eric pitched this idea to you and you're like, I got to sit down and watch this. What were you thinking? Uh, I will tell you exactly
1: what I, I was thinking. The exact same thing I'm thinking when they told me about all the homework I'm going to have for Press Your Luck month later this month. I'm like, are you guys freaking kidding me? Because they <laughs> both know I'm not a movie person. So they're like, we want to do this movie review with Rattelage. And I'm like, do I have to? they <laughs> said it's gonna be an entire life is like a game show crew thing so yes and i'm like son of a bitch
2: the first podcast <laughs> held at gunpoint fantastic um i, I mean you're not raw water gunpoint but still gunpoint <laughs> and finally uh going over to you jonathan when where how why what who
4: i think i heard about it mentioned at some point in either the mid to late 90s but i didn't get the chance to watch it until uh. High-speed internet and um, video files getting leaked on the internet, like two thousand two, two thousand three, when I was in college. Gotcha. I, I own a I, copy of it somewhere now, though. I think somewhere I this saw th- DVD stack back here.
2: I think I saw it contemporaneously again. Nineteen ninety four puts me um, in either. Uh, this looks like it was when I was in college, and I know I was. Uh, this might shock you guys, seeing as I do a film podcast, but in college I was a bit of a film nerd, and. Uh, I watched a lot of movie late, late high school, early college. I watched a lot of movies. I was watching a lot of the Oscar stuff, a lot of the indie films. You know, big old film snob I was. was. And I'm fairly certain I saw this, too. I remember liking it. Um, I don't know how much of an impact it had on me. It's a well-made picture, but it was like I saw it back then. And then I didn't think about it again until Eric Watkins of life is like a game show (laughs) podcast. Uh was like, you re- we're doing this movie review. So let's do this movie review, guys. How about that? Works 19- for me. In 1958, the questions and answers to be used for the latest broadcast of NBC's popular quiz show 21 are transported from a secure bank vault to the studio. The evening's main attractions is Queens resident Herb Stumpel, the reigning champion who correctly answers questions after question. Eventually, both the network and the program's corporate sponsor, the supplementary tonic Geritol, begin to fear that Stemple's approval ratings are beginning to level out, and it's decided that the show would benefit from new talent. we got to change up the gimmick. Go learn a new hold. Producers Dan Enright and Albert Freeman are surprised when Columbia University instructor Charles Van Doren, son of a prominent literary family, visits their office to audition. Realizing they have found an ideal challenger for Stemple, they offer to ask, The same questions during the show, which Van Doren correctly answered during his audition. He refuses, but when he comes within reach of a game winning 21 points on the show, he is asked one of the questions from his audition. After a moment of moral indecision, he gives the correct answer. Stemple deliberately misses an easy question and loses, having been promised a future in television if he does so. Ah, but then the plot thickens. In the weeks that follow, Van Doren's winning streak makes him a national celebrity, but he reluctantly buckles under the pressure and allows Enright and Friedman to start giving him the answers. Meanwhile, Stemple, having lost his prize money to an unscrupulous bookie, begins threatening legal action against NBC after weeks go by without his return to television. He visits New York County District Attorney Frank Hogan, who who convenes a grand jury to look into his allegations. Richard Goodwin, a young congressional lawyer, learns that the grand jury findings have been sealed and, tra- and travels to New York City to investigate rumors of rigged quiz shows. Visiting a number of contestants, including Stemple and Van Dorn, he begins to suspect that 21 is a fixed operation, don't you understand? Stemple's volatile personality damages his cred- credibility, and nobody else seems unwilling to confirm that the show is fixed. Fearing Goodwin will give up the investigation, Stemple confesses that he was fed the correct answers during his run on the show, and insists that Van Doren must have been involved as well. Another former contestant gives Goodwin a set of answers that he mailed to himself two days before his quiz show appearance, which Goodwin takes to be corroborating evidence. A guilt-ridden Van Doren deliberately loses, but NBC offers him a lucrative contract to appear as a special correspondent on the Morning Today show. The House Committee for Legislative Oversight convenes a hearing at which Goodwin presents his evidence of the quiz shows his corruption. Stemple testifies at the hearing, but fails to convince the committee Because he's John Turturro, and that's why. Uh, And both NBC network head Robert Kinter and Geritol executive Martin Rittenholm deny any knowledge of 21 being rigged. Subpoenaed by Goodwin, Van Doren testifies before the committee admits his role in the deception. After After the hearing adjourns, he learns from reporters that he has been fired from today and that Columbia's board of trustees is going to ask for his resignation. Goodwin believes that he is on the verge of a victory against Jarrett Hall and NBC, but realizes that Enright and Friedman will not jeopardize their own future in television by turning against their bosses. He silently watches the producer's testimony, vindicating the sponsors and the network from any wrongdoing and taking full responsibility for rigging the show. Disgusted, he steps outside and sees Van Doren, who waves at him before boarding a taxi. Um, So, Eric, how close to real life is this?
0: I mean, they added the proper amount of dramatic effect because in due research, as we all do for Life is Like a Game show, shocker considering it's us, we went ahead and we found the episodes, well, some of those in which both Stemple and Doren appeared. And they did use those very same questions just in a slightly different time of the game. So naturally, with a bit of poetic license, a bit of drama, but not too much for the perfect amount of effect. They've essentially got everything just about right.
2: Okay. So this was—I uh, said it before. This was nominated for a, a Best Picture Oscar. Brian, um, what did you think of Robert Direc- Robert Redford's direction in this? Do you think he? Do you think he sort of nailed the aesthetic of what was going on? Do you think he brought out the best performances in these guys? How do you feel about it?
3: I think he definitely nailed the time frame that the movie was supposed to be set in, right? I think he overall got the the look, the feel, like the, the movie definitely screamed, yeah, this is the 50s. Yeah, this is television. Yeah, this is this is what's going on.
2: And I think he did a good job of that. How about you, Jonathan? What would you think of the direction, uh, Robert Redford's direction on this?
4: the direction was pretty solid as eric was referring to some of the questions were used to different spots different point values assigned to the questions there was a video i saw on youtube that put stills of the movie versus the actual show side by side and you could actually see the difference in the scoring results being the same
5: mm-hmm.
4: but definitely they upped that dramatic effect and really got into the characters very well i remember when uh Douglas McGrath doing Richard's uh, with uh, James Steinbrass having the sealed copies that he postmarked to himself days before delivering that. That was, I saw that and I was, yep, that is perfectly legit to the original.
2: So Harry, we know Robert Redford is this award-winning acclaimed actor. This quiz show movie is actually his fourth film that he ever directed. He did ordinary people, the Milagro bean filled war, a river runs through it. And then quiz show, Um, you know, I know you say you're not a movie guy. Uh, How'd this one grab you? You're still muted, bud.
0: (laughs) Wait for it. Okay. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um,
1: I had the opportunity to watch, excuse me. I had the opportunity to watch it with Eva when we were getting ready to do it. And she's. She's a little bit more of a movie person than I am, but she's not mm-hmm. a big movie watcher either. And we both were very entertained by it. And to the point that we actually started doing some more looking into the overall scandal and stuff. And some of the people who portrayed some of the various roles in the film too. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really impressed with the guy, with the actor who portrayed Stepple. Cause I thought that that was very true to life with the paranoia that he went through, especially during the time of him being pulled from mm-hmm. the show. And then the unscrupulous nature of, how he ended up going about losing his prize money from the show and the desperate means that he would sink to in order to try to uh, reestablish his footing. Overall, I, I enjoyed the film.
2: John Turturro, Eric, is really uh, a phenomenal actor. I think an underrated actor. Because I think in 2022, what people remember him for are the Transformers movies where he's a dope. But you know, if you look at his filmography, John Turturro has such great range. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen... Movie, do the right thing. Jason and I just reviewed it uh, within the last week, and so he's in that. He plays, um, I think, Nino. That he plays the racist bro- of the two Italian brothers in that. And you know, we were remarking about his performance in Do the Right Thing and how you know he really captured the essence of that kind of person in that in that place and time. And then he's here playing Stemple. So talk to me about your feelings about John Turturro's performance here.
0: I mean, between do the right thing, we play Nino, and for those who remember, I'm hopefully not the only one. Monday Night Mayhem, where he played Howard Cosell. Mm-hmm. You're talking big time enigmatic figures in the culture, especially in that era. Stemples part of the big thing in the '50s. Cosell '70s and '80s. In Mon- right, he Monday displays- Night Football. Exactly, he displays that just so perfectly. He always has this nature of presenting not just the big things, what everybody knows, but the small nuances, and he really dives into those performances. I thought it was extremely well cast then. I still think so now. Mm, chef's kiss. You know, Brian, the
2: thing about uh, Stemple's character and uh, Robert Redford's direction and trying to get the right performance out of this, it rides that line where... If it goes a little too far one way, it's too satirical. It's almost a parody of a you know a New York City Jew in the fifties. Um, you don't do it doesn't go far enough. You're not really getting a flavor of who this person was in that time. And so I think that's the magic of John Turturro's performance here is how he really does just hit the nail right on the head. And it is a hard nail to hit to try to get that performance just right. What do you think?
3: Uh, I have to agree. Uh, I think Totoro nailed it like absolutely perfectly because I know Totoro for more comedic yeah. roles. Again, um, the Transformers. I wasn't a huge Transformers fan. I mm-hmm. mostly remember uh, his work alongside. Adam Sandler, uh, You Don't Mess With the Zohan, <laughs> Mr. Deeds.
2: What's the um, one where he walks in the room and he sees the pop star and he's got a gigantic heart on in the sweatpants?
3: That was You Don't Mess With the Zohan. Okay. <laughs> um, and even, you know, for uh, I, me personally, one of my favorite movies of all time is Big Lebowski. He was even in Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, to to see him, to see Totoro in a more serious role, but mm-hmm. he doesn't oversell it. He manages to put the right amount of comedy on it and the, the right amount of, of panache, if you will. I, I think he nails the role perfectly. Especially, like I said, for somebody who I'm used to seeing him in a comedic role, the range that he has is just amazing.
2: Yeah, totally agree. How about you, Nielsen? uh Jonathan? Want to weigh in on uh, Totoro, your thoughts? Anything else about his um, career you want to bring up? Being actually originally from New York, he embodied
4: I buy buddy. <laughs> Ron Long Island to be exact.
2: Oh, Uniondale, where, where I got my hood, cred. And then um okay. and then Massapequa, where Jerry okay. Seinfeld. My run. dad
4: taught high school in Elmont for 30-something years. So oh so Elmont. Very, very well. I have you and
2: I have to talk later. Yeah, I have stories. We'll, we'll,
4: we'll, we'll, we'll talk later, but definitely Totoro in embodying Herb Stemple and Eastern Queens that I <laughs> I could see it literally in St. Albans. And he nailed that level of, uh, to pardon the phrase, shtick perfectly. <laughs> Didn't oversell did. I think, but got that quirky personality that he's always had. Even yes, watching like... some of the, um, was it the Archive of Television mm-hmm. History interviews series they've got on YouTube? Also, I've seen. Mm-hmm. I think like... he might have even watched some of that footage, through some of those interviews that were happening after the actual incident to try and get the character a bit better.
2: Yeah, Stempel is like half my relatives. They talk the exact same way. It, it was like, like, oh, my God, I'm home again. Um, switching around, Harry, I'll go to you with this. Um, another lead performance in this is it was just in the King's Band, as a matter of fact, is Ralph Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes sort of a really playing off the Stempel character, you know, very polar opposite. Now, this is, you know, this is an educated man. He comes from... A uh, you know a high class family that's also um, high up in academia, and his character is one trying to uh, get out of the shadow of his father, uh, and this is a ways that he a way that he's trying to do that. And Ralph Fiennes, I think, understated is the word that comes to mind. I really feel like he, I think he nailed the character, but I think they were purposely trying to set him. To be set him up to be very, very different in contrast to how Stemple comes across. What did you think of Ralph Fiennes? Unmute your mic, please. <laughs> <laughs> to steal a line from wrestling, they tried
1: to babyface him, mm-hmm. even through his confession scene at the end of the movie. Um, I I think that they definitely want the New York high society, the sophistication cl- route with him. They they kind of played it off as a, con- a uh, crisis of conscience when mm-hmm. it came to him originally taking the role on of becoming the new defending champion on the obviously rigged show that he did not know was rigged at the time when he tried out for. Because uh, as they talk about in the um, in the backstage part of it, there, the, the scene with the original and right scene with uh, Van Doren's character, he's actually trying out for Tic Tac Doe, not 21. But they realized that because of the sophisticated family, because of the, uh, the the high society family, that he would be a better he would be a better candidate to go on Twenty One in order to reach a larger audience at the time. Mm-hmm. So I I think that the uh, the way that they kind of tried to babyface him there was done intentionally in order to make him a more likable character, even if he was doing even if he was doing something deplorable to game show fans in the fact that he he was the cause along with Stemple and along with. The, the one who
2: mailed the question to himself. The last name is escaping me right now. I, I want to stay on Ralph Fiennes, Eric, but he just um, he just pinged something with me. And, and I'm going to break from the traditional movie review. and Just kind of throw this philosophical question out there. Hey, life is like a game show, guys. Does it matter in the world of entertainment, sports entertainment even, if it's fake? Like, does it matter if the guy's really know the questions or if it's all a work.
1: Yes. And the reason I say, the reason I say yes is because a lot of people playing along at home have an emotional investment while watching these shows. And while they have that emotional investment watching these shows, traditionally, guys like myself, like Eric, like Jonathan, like Brian, would sit and play along to these game shows watching TV when we were younger as kids, thinking about what it would be like to try out for these shows here. And then to go into these particular shows and to have that bubble burst, oh, we're going to give you the answers. We just want you to look smarter, look dumb on TV, given the circumstances. It would completely kill the the illusion for us.
4: Absolutely. It would kill the... Atmosphere that contestants like that. Tom McKee on the, on the relaunch field. of Tic Tac Doe, when he won over $300,000 legitimately. Um, and in a more MS- recent case, you got Ken Jennings, James Holsauer, Brad Rutter, Matt Amodio, Amy Schneider, even more recently on Jeopardy! Shows like that would be killed if it was a work. And the fact of
0: that, and yes, I am going to borrow this saying, yes. The best works are ones where you don't know if it's a work or a shoot. I get that. However, as someone who for the longest time grew up on these shows, as someone who was actually captain of their high school academic quiz team, shocker, I know. So it's one of these things to where, yes, you have those levels of integrity and even tying that in the sports You knew the original XFL, what it was in 2001. And you're hoping in something entirely different for the XFL that's coming in 2023. (laughs) You want something more legitimate rather than scripted. That's what I'm leaning towards.
1: Disagree, Eric, when it comes to that. Just because the games in the XFL originally weren't scripted. The storylines around them were, but the games themselves were legitimate contests.
2: Brian, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I want you to weigh in on this. Just using professional wrestling as a model, you know, it starts off as something that is real, and it's an hour-long match where George St. Pierre lies on top of Bruno San Martino for an hour. Okay, that's not historically accurate, but you get get the drift. Um, And somewhere Robert Winfrey is breaking every piece of furniture he owns. I hope. Um, (laughs) So... But, you know, the the traditionally watching wrestling documentaries and whatnot, one of the things they talked about was that an actual real-life wrestling match was boring as crap. You know, they would just kind of sit on each other for an hour and you would lose the audience. And that is, you know, that plus the history of the carnival aspect of wrestling is why they made it into a work. And the whole, and Jim Cornette talks about this all the time. I have repeated it ad nauseum. Um, the trick with wrestling was to create an atmosphere where you could believe it was real and at, and at one time even though it was a work it was projected as real and you built an audience around that and I'm wondering if the audience never knows that it's fake what how would if they never know that it's fake how would they then they don't know and they think it's real and it works the same way as pro wrestling does it not Brian
3: i I don't think so I think it, you have the the same thing that occurred with wrestling. You have the same thing that occurred in real life with the quiz shows. Eventually, find somebody finds out it's not real. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of rewind a little bit to the last question about does it matter if it's if it's fake or real? I think that there's two sides to that that you have to look at. You have to look at that from an ethical standpoint, and you have to look at that from a philosophical standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. philosophically okay sure it doesn't matter if if the if it's if it's real or fake because it's entertainment and in a in reality quiz shows are there to be an entertainment product but ethically you are representing people regardless of who the person is you are representing a person to be smarter than what they may actually be and when you give people the hope that they can get on these shows because they're smart and win tons and tons of money and you show up there at the, at the, at the, the the studio and the producer sits you down in a room and says, congratulations, we like you, you, you have a television face. You have television appeal. Here's the answers. We want you to do this and this and, and, you know, this order at that point in time, you're not a trivia savant. You're just an actor.
2: Go ahead, Harry. And then Jonathan.
1: Okay, so Bruce Pritchard, something to wrestle with. I know you've listened on occasion to his podcast. Sure. He has a saying for this right here when it comes to the the way of pro wrestling in regards to, okay, that's fake, that's fake, that's fake. But that motherfucker right there is real. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the same thing when it comes to game shows. Like okay, maybe maybe he's maybe he's given an answer. Maybe they're given an answer. But right now, I can guarantee you, if I had to go face to face with that dude on a trivia contest, I would get my ass whooped.
2: Okay, go ahead, Jonathan.
4: Really, what we're seeing here, almost in a way, we've had this debate on life's like game show countless times. Okay, reality competition shows we do not believe are game shows. That's where the wrestling side of this. And the fix being in is a thing. And that's really... This debate we're having right now Mm -hmm. is that very same debate we had on our show. Honestly,
1: that's a a really good point, Jonathan. I think that uh, if you want to look at it from that standpoint and a shout-out to our bracket producer on his birthday as we record this, uh, Randy Isbell. Um, uh, Reality TV game shows such as Survivor, such as Big Brother, such as... um, whatever whatever one you want to the amazing grace or whatever that's I, um, kind that's kind of pro wrestling meets game show in a sense because sure. it takes it takes that scripted element of it takes that scripted element of pro wrestling with the characters and the stories and the reasons to cheer for such and such and such a competitor and combines it with the intelligence of a trivia competition on survivor or the physicality of one of the one of the trying to get through a um uh, an obstacle course on Wipeout It gives you that opportunity to kind of see A best of both worlds there So it's more of a hybrid of scripted
0: entertainment And game shows rather than game shows inclusively The film's Scripted point- entertainment With a level of major kind of Strategy mm-hmm. Within the storylines themselves It's like alright You know okay this is going to be the thing This is going to be the thing But how can you work around it And play some of those to your advantage and a true scripted thing, you can't, but with these reality shows, you can and contestants often do.
2: I wanted to touch on it for a moment and, and kind of throw it out there for us to kick around because the film's point of view, obviously, and you can see this through the character of Rob Morrow, uh, Rob Morrow's character rather, Richard N. Goodwin, is the film's perspective is what you guys are all saying. There's a moral issue at play here. You are presenting th- you are presenting a thing as one thing when it's really another. Um, and I, and I find that interesting because so much of television is creating a fantasy. If, uh, go ahead, Harry. I, I, oh, Harry I would, I, I've
3: got something to say to that too.
2: Okay. What I would
1: what I would say to that is if we know that it's a work, then it's mm-hmm. different. Right. But if, you, if you're presenting it as shoot intelligence instead of insulting our intelligence in the process, that's
3: where we take issue. Sure, go ahead, Brian. I, I think the other thing that you have to realize here, is that or that you have to you have to take into serious consideration is this is television in the 1950s generally speaking television is brand new it's still in black and white the the first color television is just barely out on the market the only network even capable of producing in color was nbc and the the morals and values of the american people in that time frame compared to the time frame of the hell the 80s the 90s even today Mm -hmm. is vastly different than it was back then so what if if Game shows were a completely new concept, right? Nobody mm-hmm. had thought about to do a game show before. And it they started doing it in, say, the 90s or the 2000s. And then, you know, 10 years later, they find out, okay, the fix is in. I don't think people care as much. I don't think it becomes the level of scandal to the point where you have congressional hearings and an actual federal law is passed saying... This is illegal. This is not right. You're not allowed to do it. But for the 50s, it was just it's absolutely draw dropping because television was more of a public trust thing than it is today.
2: Thing when you look at the history of lawmaking, we don't know what to make illegal until something somebody starts doing something. They go, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) This doesn't seem right. Or probably do it or until we realize
1: that we can make money ourselves off of it in the process.
2: So I want to get back to Ralph Fiennes now. Good discussion, though, guys. Uh, Eric, I I was going to you before we got into this side conversation about Ralph Fiennes and how he sort of set up as the polar opposite of John Turturro. But I also really want to uh, hammer on his relationship with his father, Paul, Paul Schofield, and how Paul Schofield definitely had a also had a mark
1: in Doran. um,
2: Very uh, s- specific point of view on what men of academia should be. He had a very structured, very limited point of view of what of what his son should be. And his son is, like all good sons, rebelling against their dad and and trying to <laughs> find his own identity, trying to find his own way. And he is in direct conflict with the father. And I thought
0: Robert Redfield did, and you know, the other scriptwriters of this movie did a really, really good job of bringing that out. Yeah, and I agree. And even with this discussion, I think back to the one scene. Charles is in the classroom with his father discussing, you know, the big moment, the reveal where he, he, yes, I may have been given the answers. And I think back to the line Schofield said about, oh, it's like, well, these people on TV are just displaying erudition that they don't have. And it kind of fit in that classic, you're thinking not just of that time frame, from mid late 50s but you're thinking Mm -hmm. about all that before then and you see well doesn't have a television a lot of reading this and that it's just different levels of high society to where you're bringing out that era of importance and how it's fading and transferring to what it was back then and it's a different levels of evolution that you really didn't like and For that generation, as well as subsequent generations it happens all the time, you see this fresh perspective in this thing with change and all that. And you wonder, what is it really coming to? Mm -hmm. And I think that moment and really that whole scene and a bit after that, very well encapsulated. Go ahead, Harry, jump in there.
1: Uh, just to second what, uh, Eric's point there, uh, the, the specific line that he had, these people are showing an air of our edition that they don't have. And then the response from Ralph Fine's character of, well, what if I was one of, I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. And then that's where the reveal comes that to his father, that he had been given the answers, despite the fact that his father had believed that he had been academically upstanding throughout his entire run on the show.
2: Jonathan, talk to me about your thoughts on Ralph Fine's performance, his relationship as portrayed with his father, um, played by Paul Schofield. Did any of that father son dynamic speak to you? Anything about Ralph Fine's character uh, you can relate to?
4: Yeah, it's like, well, first off, Ralph Fine's not playing any Voldemort in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. That's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> but I see that relationship almost like my dad being an educator, myself being collegiate professor albeit not at that level mind you mm-hmm. and not in that field at all but also i could relate to that a little bit because our parents using the internet mm-hmm. and imagine his parents and seeing tv for the first time it's a great parallel that we're seeing in hindsight 30 years later of we're all geared in technology and internet and Everybody getting their 15 seconds of fame on TikTok and whatnot, that our parents aren't gonna understand that. Follow the W2M like...
0: network on TikTok, by the way. Sorry. Absolutely. <laughs> Fine. We Go ser- ahead, get
4: we... the other plugs out there while we're there.
2: <laughs> we we seriously have a freaking of... TikTok? Yes, yes, at my insistence.
4: But this this whole
2: Hang on, um, don't you roll your eyes at me, big sexy. <laughs> it's all about marketing uh, and getting your message out there. You, now you're on TikTok too, big guy. You th- oh no 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 no! What, I mean, we have that, down t-
1: here for a reason. <laughs> you, you think I'm on TikTok? The only thing I watch less than movies is
2: TikToks. And uh, no no no, sir! Your yeah. face, your visage, your your thoughts on Matt Cardona, the internet's favorite champion, are now on TikTok. You're welcome. Please continue. Son man. of a
0: bitch! That's me, all right. <laughs> it, see, this is why I'm using the safe Twitter handle, not the other one, which will get you at the end.
4: But this, the relationship here between Mark Van Dort, I'm remembering the, the big party outside where he gives the TV. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, now I guess I got to watch it. Just like when my parents finally got a computer and dial up internet. Well, I guess we're doing this internet thing with AOL dial up in 28.8 because we didn't have 56K in our area because crap phone lines in New York. <laughs> Uh, I remember those days. Uh, you know, I laughed. Glad I- we're out of them.
2: I laughed really, really hard the one night I was watching the O'Reilly Factor and he brought up, I think it was the 405, and they like, they've been building it since the Civil War. I-
4: <laughs>
2: all my New Yorkers got that one. All right, moving on.
4: Um, like the Long Island um, Expressway under construction all no, the time. Yeah, sorry.
2: or the BQE that's covered in broken glass. Um, Hey, New York jokes. Anyway. Hey,
4: actually, <laughs>
2: relevant
1: New York jokes. Um, big uh, W. Morris, the finisher in Impact Wrestling is called the BQE.
2: Terrific, Harry. Um, moving on. So let's. Uh, I'm going to go over to you, Brian, to kick this part of the conversation. If I brought it up earlier, that the point of view character, the one that's pushing it forward, the 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 one making the moral argument in this movie is Rob Morrow, who plays Richard N. Goodwin. Who I don't think he, the way that it's portrayed in the film, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. He doesn't quite know what he's digging into as he's digging into it. It's it's like, there's a thing here. I got to look at it. And then when he realizes what it was and what its implications are, he's like, no, 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 no. This is, is, as you guys were saying, this is morally wrong. And this is the sort of thing that that is left unchecked. It's probably going to get unwieldy and cause a lot of problems. And he's not only fighting against a corporate system that wants to maintain the status quo, he's also uh, he's also fighting a my devil's advocate point of view of hey, it's just TV, brother. You know why are you why are you messing with the money? So, what did you think of um, weigh in here, Mike, with the thoughts that I'm putting out there and your thoughts on Rob Morrow's performance? Um.
3: As far as, as Goodwin was concerned, I think this is the point where the movie takes the most artistic license from. Okay. Goodwin wasn't as heavily involved in the investigation in real life. Is he an amalgamation
2: um, of different characters? Like, he's, he's
3: not an amalgamate. He is based on, like Richard Goodwin mm-hmm. is somebody who does exist in real life. Mm-hmm. Goodwin was exactly what you would expect out of a congressional investigator if you actually had an understanding of how congressional investigations work. Mm-hmm. He, he was not the primary driving force that he's made out to be in the movie. But I think the movie makes a very great job of taking and and he sells it with his performance as well, of taking somebody who's fresh out of Harvard Law and, and to quote number one in his class mm-hmm. um, and thrusting him into a real world situation where I guess for lack of a better for, for lack of, of better explanation or terminology. Somebody with Street Smarts might have been like, you know what, this might be too big for me to bite off or too big Mm -hmm. for me to chew. I'm not gonna worry, I'm not gonna mess with this. I'm not gonna worry about it. But he has a a certain bit of almost like an Aaron I
2: was gonna say almost like an Aaron Brockovich uh, vibe where this where I I don't know how he can't really compare what she was fighting for with what he is. But I think in both cases, they were like, this is something I believe needs to be dealt with. And however big it is, I'm going to deal with it head on.
3: Yeah, I think when he when he realizes this this the situation that he has uncovered, he ends up saying, you know what? This is serious. I've gone too far to quit now mm-hmm. and just goes full on head first. But yeah, I think the, the he he does a good job along with with, you know, the writing and the script of portraying someone with a little bit of naivety, uh, uh, naiveness to the whole situation. But take your pick between stubborn and headstrong enough to continue to pursue Do it anyway. anyway.
2: Eric, he comes across um, Rob Morrow playing off of Ralph Fiennes is almost um, very much directly not envious, but definitely in awe of him. He is, you know, he he he's. You guys will probably end up telling me what word I'm thinking of here, but he definitely he he definitely uh, favors Ralph Fiennes, especially over John Turturro's character. And when awe everything struck. comes, yeah, awestruck would be one word. And then um, when everything comes crashing down and Ralph finds it revealed to be at least to one degree or another a fraud, you can actually see how much that hurts
0: uh, the Rob, um, Rob Morrow's character. What do you think? I mean, I definitely agree with that. And also to kind of play off Brian's point a little bit, mm-hmm. especially the first few minutes, you see Goodwin in his office. All his colleagues are just sitting around and the guy is like, oh, he really thinks he's bigger than he is. What kind of impact is he really going to make? But then this is coming off of him in the car dealership. It's like you could see his sort of dreams and aspirations and thinking to himself, maybe going to Wall Street. Maybe I can be doing a little something better so I can like fit in, be a different sort of a big wig in. The fact that, and he realizes not just so much the whole situation with Van Dorn how it hurts him and hurts that character, but in a way it's like, wow. So all of this stuff, not only is all this going on, could this have been me? Would I be wrapped up in something like this? How vulnerable am I? And that's another, not quite to the same level of crisis of conscience, but it's like. Maybe I am making the right decision in some ways. If there's even a right decision about what to do with myself,
3: if, uh, if I could piggyback off of that real quick, absolutely. Th- there is that there is a scene closer to the end of the movie, though, where there's a confrontation between Van Doren and Goodwin. Where Van Doren flat out says, Look, if these networks are offering you, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to sit there and lie on a quiz show would you not do it? And Goodwin looks him right in the eye and says, no, I wouldn't.
5: And, and, that is... and,
3: and I think that's the, 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 the difference between the mm-hmm. two of them. Ultimately sure. Goodwin looks up at, at Van Doren to an extent, but as the, the, the movie was, was, you know, made out the Van Doren name was, uh, you know, it's a prestigious lineage, uh, so to speak
2: in America. And, like, oh, that how fire. that hurts his father. Like, his father is just crushed by what's revealed about um, his son. And it, I always, I thought it was interesting because he thought the whole, the whole thing was just utterly unnecessary and avoidable. I'm going to go to Jonathan and then Harry, but I, I just want to, um, I think it's a really good point, Brian. Go ahead, Jonathan. What are you thinking?
4: I'm thinking, well, the portrayal of Goodwin was, I think, was a bit off. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm reading the uh, what we call in our show the non-academic credible source, Wikipedia, <laughs> and describes Goodwin. Uh, someone described Goodwin once as resembling a hungover Italian journalist. <laughs> I don't see that at all in that portrayal. No. But keeping in mind, what was the source for the movie? Goodwin's memoirs. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a skew in that direction. I just want to make sure that got pointed out at some point in the conversation here.
2: Good, Harry. You wanted to jump in, take your mute off. (laughs) That's the truth. Does he do do this in the game show podcast too? You
3: have
4: occasionally,
3: for the most part, we usually all just like leave open mics on and we're talking over each other constantly. Oh, okay. Definitely uh, a lot less structured than I'm, your show is. I'm That's trying, sure. Yeah, I'm
4: trying because except I, us because we're the same room. We have to watch the. Movie. I
3: have a. Uh,
1: I have a tendency to just blurt what I'm thinking, and I'm trying not to do that.
2: I have no idea what you're talking about, Harry Broadhurst of the Insider's podcast.
1: <laughs> uh, Eric's been doing podcasts with me for five years now. He knows better than most. Um. <laughs> The the thing about the Goodwin uh, Van Doren relationship there, and then touching on what you mentioned there too, there, um, yeah, it was almost like it was almost like. Uh, let me lean back just a little bit here. Like uh, Goodwin viewed Van, Van Doren at this level, and then once he found out about the difference in opinion of that they had with the high ground, he viewed him closer to like more of mm-hmm. more of on equal footing. And to your point about Mark Van Doren, uh, Charles's father, when he found out about everything too, the congressional hearing, the post-congressional scene where they're confronted by the reporters and Mark Van Doren gets flustered to the point that it's almost mimicking symptoms of, of a heart attack
5: mm-hmm.
2: or like chest palpitations and stuff. So – those were the main points that I wanted to hit on, but I'm sure you guys had some um, uh, agendas of your own, things you might wanted to touch on. I like to call them last licks before we start closing out. So I'll go to you first, Eric. You know, again, this was your uh, your idea to bring this to me. What are some of the things you wanted to talk about before we close up for the evening?
0: I really liked how not just they dug into everything with Stemple, because most of the people they know the story about her Stemple. They know Charles Van Doren. They had more of an outside thing. If you read in or brush in casually. Oh, well, the networking, all this and that. But some of the smaller details, like if we had mentioned much earlier about Van Doren-ish auditioning to be on tic tac Doe, which was a daytime show, which also was part of those scandals because it was also rigged. And you see really the communications of the network between the network, the Geritol executives, and a lot of that stuff that even if you go ahead and you do a deep dive as we do on Life is Like a Game Show, you get a better idea of it. Like, all right, who which executives were in on it? How many are gonna cover themselves? How deep does it go? Who's in whose pockets in plausible deniability. Exactly. As I put it, plausible deniability while on one of my spices on the spice rack of life. Not so good for something like this.
2: <laughs> um, Brian, any last licks here? Things you want to talk about? I do have one more thing I want to go to, uh, but I'm going to wait for you guys to get in your agenda.
1: We call this part Brian's final thought on Life is Like a Game Show.
3: Don't make me break out the banner. I can get to it.
2: Should I just blow you up on screen? You just be the only one. Do you need a moment? <laughs>
3: No, no, no final thought today here on, uh, here on, on trial. Um, we'll, we'll save that for, uh, the regular shows, but I, I think, uh, overall the movie was very well made. Um, and very well produced and directed. I think it captured exactly the way it needed to, what happened to cause the regulation of game shows. Mm-hmm. um, I don't think it goes over. I don't think it comes under. It, it was a, It's it's a perfectly encapsulated movie for the topic that it's intending to cover. It has just the right of artistic license. It has just the right amount of, of dramatic flair needed that I don't think... like it, it doesn't need a sequel. It doesn't need a remake. It, it doesn't need any of that. I think it's a movie that definitely stands up well to the test of time.
2: Jonathan?
4: Yeah, it is it is a drama based off of the show and what happened back then. It's not a documentary. They're not getting it 100% exactly right. But they don't need to to convey the story. And that's really where it sits at. If you want the more documentary side, go watch interviews with Sir, uh, Stemple and Van Doren. There we go. Enunciating properly for a change.
2: Yeah. You know, the, the, the and trick hear from that...
4: themselves, cause some of them are still around. We, we mm-hmm. lost Van Doren a couple of years ago. I think Steppel's still around, but
2: yeah. The trick with, uh, we were talking about this with Munich, the edge of war, you know, the trick with adaptation is you still have a dramatic narrative. You have to get across the thing has to be entertaining. Um, I, if you've ever heard me use this, uh, this particular example, um, when talking about the Lord of the Rings, I will usually throw myself on the floor and yell, "But where, where was my Tom Bombadil?" Um, and because people always get irritated that they gave Tom Bombadil's lines, I think to the Ents in the movie. But that was the trick with the Lord of the Rings adaptations by Peter Jackson: was, hey, there's only so much that we got, we can put on screen here. and We got to keep the story moving, so some characters are going to have to be combined. We're going to have to give some things that happen to one character some to somebody else. That's not. I had a cousin of mine who I think uh, complained about. It's Rocket Man or, or um, Bohemian Rhapsody, one of the two. And He was like, "That's not exactly what you know." It was Rocket Man because he was complaining about Elton John. He's like, that's not really what happened, to Elton John. And I went, "Who gives a shit? It's a, it's a work, brother. Um, it's a movie. You know, it, you, you're trying to get across a point of view, so some things are not going to be totally accurate." Go ahead, Harry. Take yourself off mute. I did. I re-
1: I remember it this time. No,
2: I'm not even giving you the opportunity anymore. I'm just going to. <laughs> my thing is going to be, "Hey, go ahead, Harry. Take yourself off mute. That's your whole name." <laughs> Are are we gonna do that on uh, IndieCiders as well? Because I can make no, I'm gonna that put work. you on mute on IndieCiders. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, that's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so to the point that uh, Jonathan just made about the fact mm-hmm. that you have to keep it with uh, you have to keep it entertaining while still maintaining your journalistic integrity with regards to the story. Yeah, I'm a game show enthusiast. I am not a fanatic, such as these guys are, Mike. My- my girlfriend is not a huge game show person she mm-hmm. she watches very very casually however she was entertained by the movie as well from the integrity standpoint of it from the moral from the moral philosophy standpoint of it from the mm-hmm. the crisis of conscience as I called it earlier on in this episode there the what would you do not necessarily for a Klondike mm-hmm. bar but what would you do for such and such an amount of money shut up Eric mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> what would you would this is definitely me? a family show, Eric. I'm not going to make the joke. I'm not going to make the joke. I promised. But Harry, seriously, stop it! You're making so. I'm
4: not reaching for the prop. It's, if Tom
2: DiCara is something sexual, someone's going to have to like tell me oh, in, the, in the in the chat or something. No, because that is we're referencing.
1: That would have been an oatmeal cream pie, but that's neither here nor.
2: I now. understand.
1: <laughs> All right, moving forward. <laughs> I I hate
5: all of you. I just broke.
1: I broke all three of them with that. But anyway, back to what I was saying there. It's that crisis of conscience. It's that moment Mm -hmm. of clarity where you realize what are you willing to sacrifice your integrity for, and if it means gaining fame, if it means gaining notoriety, if it means getting your name out there
2: amongst the amongst the bourgeoisie, amongst the masses. Yep. So, um. Two last points, and then uh, we'll call it close unless uh, unless we have burning, more burning desires. I was looking at the list of Best Picture awards when this, um, the year that this was nominated. Was 1994. Like, right. And so Forrest Gump, actually, Sean Comer and I did a debate between Forrest Gump and Pulp, uh, no, not Pulp Fiction, uh, the Shawshank Redemption, which should have won. But the quiz show was in there, as was Pulp Fiction and Four Weddings and a Funeral. And I'm just going to go around the horn on this. This would be fun to talk about for just a minute. Uh, Eric, what do you think? Forrest Gump, you think that should have won, or you think it might have, should have been Quiz Show? Where would you rank um, these Best Picture nominees here? Forrest Gump, Four Weddings, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and The Shawshank Redemption?
0: Oh! I don't know. I admit a small personal bias. Forrest Gump won for me. Oh! Pulp Fiction 2. Now, this, in a very like, Between Shawshank and Quiz Show, kind of like on level pegging. So if I could put them essentially in a tie for third. And no disrespect to Four Weddings and a Funeral, it's one of those things. Is that very minimal personal appeal to me?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I saw it when it came out, and you know, it was a movie that I saw, and it was definitely a movie. Um, I'm not. I'm actually surprised it's on that list because I don't know how that got to Best Picture nominee. But, hey, there's a guy who once made a movie I like called Clerks who thinks Spider-Man should have a Picture nominee. We live in stupid times. It's fine. <laughs> um, Brian, go ahead. And, Kevin uh, Smith seriously didn't say something that dumb, did he? He not only did, but I've done at least two or three different podcasts screaming about it at one point or another.
0: <laughs> and that became one
2: of my TikTok clips.
0: There's oh. a reason why he's called Silent Bob. In no, the in the New Jersey trilogy, no kidding, dude, um,
2: hmm. Brian. So we're talking about should Quiz Show have won the Best Picture? Should not of it? Where would you rank it in that group? Um, it's tough, right? Because
3: there are some some very very good movies that you've put in that list. There, hell
1: yeah, um, ninety four was a bunch of heavy hitters,
3: and I'm glad Stacked. we're talking about. I'm glad we're talking about ninety four and not ninety five because I would have went into a mini rant about my favorite movie of all time, Crimson Tide with Denzel Washington and Gene Ackman. We're a year off on that one. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about criminally underrated movies? Uh, but I don't know. I, I think Quiz Show, out of all of those movies that you list, Shawshank Redemptions actually, I think has to be at the top of the list for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a bit of a soft spot for Morgan Freeman movies. I love Morgan Freeman as an actor. Um, I think I would put quiz show at number two. What are the other options? Four, because I know Fiction
1: and four weddings
3: and a funeral. Okay. Um, I would put Pulp Fiction at three, Forrest Gump at four. I did not like Forrest Gump as much as other a lot of other people have.
2: Brian Espinosa, you are breaking my heart. What I've, I've
3: watched it. <laughs> I've watched Forrest Gump quite a few times, but the Forrest I don't know.
0: Pump. It it just it it doesn't I don't know. It doesn't sit right Ma- with me. Mark, don't worry. A certain disembodied voice will have a talking to with him on the next episode of Lead to the Max or whatever. When we debated it, that um, was the one
2: I, I I that was the one I uh I took on as my uh as this my client. He was pumping for uh, Shawshank. I pumped for um Forrest Gump. And I've never seen Four Weddings at a Funeral. That
3: is not particularly my style or genre of movie to, to, to consume. Uh, and I've seen my fair share of movies. So uh, that that goes
2: at the bottom of the list by default. Fair enough. All right, take me home, baby doll, Jonathan. What do you think?
4: Oh, well, despite the fact I own the soundtrack to Forrest Gump, I'm going to have to quote Mrs. Gump on this one. You're going to have to figure that one out for yourself. <laughs>
2: All right. Last thing. Um, Wait, hey. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, Harry.
1: I've actually seen the other three movies involved in this conversation.
3: You what?
2: Wait, I'm hang, on, hang on, what? Harry. You've seen the man who, who, who.
0: Mr. No Movies? Not a Movie Guy? Has seen all of them? You've seen the movie? I'm so proud of you, son. My God, I, I, I'm out here waiting. The four horsemen haven't shown up yet. It's a good sign. I'm, We're okay, half... people. We're okay. Is, is it wrong that with with the hair like that, I was kind of half
1: waiting for Eric to go, Elizabeth? It's the big one. I'm,
5: I'm Come, Elizabeth.
3: <laughs> oh, oh, Elizabeth.
2: Volume warning. Wait, wait, wait. How is his?
3: How is his? His uh, uh buttum tits better than our buttum tits? Because.
2: That is a... You've got the claymation monkey, right? That's your—that's yes. that's the one you guys use. Okay, I also have um, this one.
0: Sorry, Bob oh, Bar- You've got a better one there.
1: Yeah, we, <laughs> we have Bob Barker Bar- 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 is not—we have Barb Barker is not impressed. With like the this, not
2: pleased. I like how we're all on the same page with with our uh, bumper noises. All right, go all ahead, right. Harry.
1: Um, I—I'm with—I'm with Brian with here. Shawshank Redemption at the top and cuz and part of that is is cuz you can't tell me that there isn't a single person amongst us who hasn't imagined what it would be like to have Morgan
0: Freeman narrate our life. Morgan <laughs> Freeman, Samuel L. Jackson, detective Someone Morgan. get these
1: motherfucking people off this motherfucking podcast. All right, anyway. <laughs> back to it. Um I would put pulp fiction second. Mm-hmm. I would put Quiz Show third. I'm also with Brian on this one. I think Forrest Gump is overrated. People are nuts. Um, I'm telling
0: you. I'm telling well, you. Mark, join me on the island. It, it, life? Er,
3: hey, Eric. Hey, uh, hey, Eric. Are you sure you didn't, you know, open the blinds behind you and check real well for the four horsemen? Because it's rare that Harry and I agree on something.
0: This uh, true. From,
3: Mr. Rattledge, mm-hmm. life may be one of
1: these, but that movie sure as hell ain't.
0: Look, I'm telling you, whenever I'm around, somebody is going to get into a wavelength. You never know who. It's just weird that I'm not a part of it this time. That's concerning. Um,
2: my So if you've watched enough of my podcast, you know that I, I can criticize or defend just about anything. And um, I watched Quiz Show, and it, it's so... Something that Alexis Haina and Robert and I, Robert Winfrey and I have talked about is sometimes when you get into these like Best Picture nominees, it's a little hard to find anything to criticize That's why they're nominated for Best Pictures. Um, when you're really starting to examine film craft, after a while, you're like, I don't really have a lot, whole lot to add here. The one thing I did think about as I was watching this is it might be a little overlong. For this story, I don't know if you needed two hours and 13 minutes and I'm curious to get your opinion on that. We and,
1: talked about that on Life is Like a Game Show when we were discussing when we were going to do this particular mm-hmm. on trial here. We all thought that we understand why they went to the lengths that they did. We understand the, the intense dramatization of the whole scenario. But I do think that when it comes to certain films, less is more. And I think you could have told a more concise story
2: and probably about 15, 20 minutes shorter runtime. Eric, um, I'm pretty. I, I would hazard a guess you've seen Spike Lee's Malcolm X. I have my the same problem I have with Malcolm X is the problem I have with Quiz Show. You can get to the story a lot faster than what they do, and it feel you know. I think Spike Lee gave into a lot of, and Robert Redford, the same boat. Uh, that's why I'm making this point. I feel like they both got into the trap of well, if you're trying to make an epic picture it has to be this long sweeping thing and sometimes i feel like you just have to kill your babies and say no and cut some of this stuff make it a tighter story this didn't need to be a you know over two hours sweeping epic you can get there in two hours flat you know what i mean
0: Oh, yeah, and especially some of the scenes and parts of it, you could have turned into montages. Yeah. A, a, a lot of things, it's, like, extemporaneous, and I do get that, even though, for me, most of the time, the pace was well done, but mm-hmm. I do agree. Some of it's it's, like, easier setups like that, so not necessarily to go on the lengths of something like, you know, Malcolm X or The Irishman. Do like what the Watchmen did.
2: (laughs) The Irishman is still going on. That's how long that is.
0: Exactly. Do like what the Watchmen did. It's like, hey, we've got to do this for the sake of the time frame of the movie. Mm. You will thank us. Harry, you have a thought?
2: Harry, Do you take yourself off mute? Yeah, you could say that
1: it was super flowless. Shut the fuck up, Harry.
2: (laughs) Um... (laughs)
1: Just eat a dick, dude. Um, <laughs> That's an indie Ciders reference for everybody sure, watching. Sure is. Home.
2: I pronounce words the way I want, and I mispronounce <laughs> all the names. So go ahead, Jonathan. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: wow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jonathan Nielsen. My no. uh, leg is like a goon show to a podcast. Go ahead.
4: <laughs> so one thing I wanted to bring up here that came up, we were talking about the history side. Just to put this into context, also the the time frame they were aiming for, that I just realized at the point. The old Dumont Network, now now I'm throwing it way back.
3: Ladies and so gentlemen, the from, historian Jonathan Nielsen.
4: Yeah, that's usually the role I have on Life's like Game Show. The Dumont Network folded right about the same time of year. Mm-hmm. If this investigation didn't happen now, we wouldn't have also evolved to the point where We even have commercials on TV. Mm -hmm. Because think about Geritol was the sponsor for 21. So when they were highlighting that one sponsor, in case uh, anybody's got tired blood around here. (laughs) And the other thing I was going to ask you, Mark, because you asked us, when was the first time you saw the movie?
2: Uh, Again, I think it was around when it came out. He answered it. That's fine. It's eat? been a while. We, we've yeah. been at this for
4: an hour. My brain's trying to mush.
2: No, I got it. Uh, no, I. I, like I said I. I can't remember if I saw this in the movies or not, but I definitely saw it close to when uh, it was fairly, fairly new.
4: Back in the days, you could rent movies from Blockbuster.
2: Homeboy, I can remember when you can rent movies from the mom and pop places, the place that kind of Vince Russo used to work at.
4: Besides, so I lived right
0: around Slip. the corner from a Blockbuster. Thank you very much. Swerve, bro.
2: <laughs> um, take a drink every time we make a wrestling reference on, a, on this movie <laughs> review about a game take show. A, take a
0: drink, take a hit. Either way, you're welcome.
2: And, indeed. Spark a dude right. if you're Eric. Closing out our conversation here, Mr. Espinoza. Um, you know, my like I said, my one criticism was the length of this. Uh, say, did you agree, disagree, do you have any other do you have any criticisms of the movie? And then I think we're gonna call it for the night. Uh, I actually disagree.
3: I think, yeah, the movie was long, but I think it flowed, and it was so engaging and entertaining as a movie that you don't really notice the length.
0: I don't
2: disagree with your point. i I just think, from an editing perspective, it's not that I think it's it's poorly paced or anything like that. It's fine the way it is. But I'm wondering if there's a better movie. If it's cut down in places, you know, a minute here, a minute there per scene. And you've knocked a half an hour off this thing. And I think that's what I'm asking.
3: I think you can. I think there are places in the movie, yes, that you can make judicious cuts um, to to particular uh, scene lengths. And the movie would still turn out fine. But as the movie stands, I don't see a problem with its length or pacing. And I, the only criticism I think I can honestly make about the movie overall is I wish that they had covered more of the, the, the follow on effects of the scandals rather than just a footnote of, you know, Hey, this is what happened to the key elements in the movie of which some of those, um, post sequences were actually an act, factually inaccurate um I, I think the movie could have covered um the congressional hearing a little bit better or or in reality actually gone into the meat and potatoes of the hearings even if they you know had to take artistic license and condense it down a little bit um but really that's that's i think that's my only honest uh, uh qualm with the movie
4: the testimony, Harry. they nailed exactly, by the way.
2: Cool. Harry, you wanted to talk about cinematography, and you actually paint something in my brain, so I'm going to let you have your say, but I just want to throw this out there. This is a very indoors movie. It's a lot of people talking in rooms, but weirdly enough, I thought they... I want to give a shout-out to that shot composition in this. There are some... They, they really Robert Redford and the uh, the cinematography team really did capture the essence of the transition from the... the the TV to what's happening in real life, and it you know, something I noticed about Belfast too, even in a situation where your color palette is kind of a lot of grays and browns or whatever, or blacks and whites, it still looks vibrant, you know what I mean?
1: That's what I wanted to uh, that's what I wanted to talk about the fact that they so accurately nailed the black and white studio nature of NBC Studios for the time frame with the quiz with the uh, 21. 21- while the show was on air and then you had it envelop itself into like that real life color, the color vibrations Mm -hmm. going to the scenes in Enright's office going into the, the whole scenario on the, the estate for the Van Doren's with the, uh, with the the picnic as well as the boating scene and stuff there. And then the, uh, the chaos with the Stemple household as well with Herb and his, and his wife and his son and everything like that there. It's just, you had the, just the stark contrast of that, Dark, that dark but well lit uh, NBC studio from the era of the black and white TV shows to the everyday natural life back in the
2: 50s. Exactly. Um, Jonathan, you want you threw this up there. You just want to address it real quick?
4: Just a visual to what Harry's ex- uh, expressing here. Okay, cool. There's the shot from the 50s, and there's the shot from the movie.
2: All right, guys. Hang on. There we are. All right, hey, this was a fun conversation. I I wasn't quite sure how this was gonna go. Um, I, I I get overwhelmed when we have more than four people. Um, I've had to tell all of my people like no more than like no more than four of you. Everyone else go form your own podcast. But uh, hey, everyone was. I have to commend you fellas. I've heard your podcast. You were very well behaved tonight. Everyone gets a gold star. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I was a teacher too once. Um, and now I work in a jail. Anyway, hey, this was fun. If you guys, if if you uh, if you stumble across something else, uh, you guys want to do like this again sometime in the far future, uh, hit me up and we'll uh, we'll do it again. Would you and like to, if they you like- make a
4: movie out of Michael Larson and Your Luck, we will be back.
1: I was just about to say, is there any chance you want to sit through six hours of freaking footage on Michael Larson? I do it?
4: not,
2: but I do yeah. have a request. Can I put a, now? Can I put a request in? Because I don't know if this is, is like your speed or not, but so. Are, do you guys do, like, the dating game shows? Well, I have a specific one. I have a specific we one. We just finished covering
3: Love Month over on Life is Like a I, Game I did
2: film. notice that. I did notice that. But I have a, I have a very specific one, and I don't know if this is still in your bag. So bear with me here. But I would love a Life is Like a Game Show on Brett Michaels' Rock of Love. Can we do that, Eric? I'm pitching you a I'm pitching you a, a, a thing here, man. Who doesn't want to hear about
0: Brett Michaels and a dozen whores? I do. But first of all, that would definitely be sort of a point-of-viewer thing. I will gladly do a special <laughs> episode on that. Granted, there's gonna be a lot more booze, and you may see me come on screen with some mysterious white clouds around okay. me. I will I not be know. a
2: disembodied-bodied <laughs> voice if you do. If you ever do a this rock of love on Steve. point of love, I will be just be there. And just hang out and watch you talk about it because I loved it. that. That is one of my wife and I's like guilty pleasures is Brett Michaels' Rock of Love. It's hilarious.
0: I mean, Love Month
4: 2023.
0: <laughs> we could throw in because we did mention you know covering something like you know the dating game. I would throw in something like Joe Millionaire if we're going to go down that I'm, road. I am officially tendering my resignation.
2: All right, I'm going to sub in for Harry then. If you guys I will make myself available for a Rock of Love show in Harry's place,
0: I, I, I will be conveniently on assignment that week so that way he can sub in. I was just going to say, uh, yes, Harry Broadhurst will not be seen tonight. So we yeah. may bring you this special presentation Gimmick Infringement, a
2: W2M <laughs> Network exclusive. All right. Now that I've now that I've done that, go ahead and we'll start with you, Eric. Uh, plug what you need to plug. Tell him where, where to find us and all of that. Don't we'll tell kind of him. You the- need the- it <laughs> <laughs> S- <laughs> Succinctly, I suppose. And then we'll just kind of go around
0: the horn and uh, we'll get out of here. So just here on the network, point of viewer, league to the max or whatever. Life is like a game show. We've got in the works the Broadhurst Watkins Sports Report, sports in black and white, allegedly soccer to the max, schedules keep on changing, question marks, but if you're looking for me outside of the network, at Squid Sports Head on Twitter, Eric Watkins on Facebook, look for the picture of the guy holding a glass of wine in the recliner, and as I mention all the time, if you were on Twitter at Squid Sports Head, if you slide into my DMs, undergo a thorough and strict vetting process, there's going to be a lot of, um, as I call it, dark social media that you will gladly gain access to. I may or may not have some certain things on TikTok that I would recommend. Stay tuned for that outstanding hey um
2: brian or jonathan brian and or jonathan did you want to add anything to the plugs anything that you guys do outside of the stuff you're doing with eric um i mean league to the backs
3: or whatever monday nights here on the network uh we talk about all things uh, professional league of legends mostly within the north american professional circuit um sometimes when uh, we have a slow week or if i miss the games uh it's more of a slice of brian's life Week episode. Um, other than that, I'm also uh, with uh, with with viewer or with Eric over on uh, Point of Viewer. Uh, he can, I mean, he plugged that already. So uh, that, that's that's about it, really.
4: I just do life is like game show. That's a Twitch and Twitter thing down there on GTN 2002.
2: You don't have if a 900 you... podcast like the rest of us. <laughs> no,
4: I teach for two colleges. Ain't nobody got time for that.
2: I understand. It was hard enough to get my wife to do the one um, uh, Fifty Shades trilogy because she too is a teacher. Not for college kids. She teaches elementary school, but same difference.
4: Oh, world of difference. Trust me. I don't have that kind of patience. <laughs> fair enough.
1: Uh, huh? To be fair, she's
0: married to Mark
1: Ratelidge. She has the patience of
0: a saint. Go
1: fuck yourself, Different Harry. Kind um. of
5: patience.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, if you're talking about stuff in Fifty Shades, don't even get me started, but That's a rant for Point of Viewer again. That and, well, maybe some interesting stories about plugs. I'll figure that out by this week.
2: Harry, did you go see some sort of wrestling event in a basement behind a door that says, Beware of the Leopard this week, do you want to talk
1: about? (laughs) Actually, my most recent watch show is the Highway to Hell SummerSlam from 1998. I have been trying to find somebody to do old-school WWF and WCW show reviews with. I'm I'm going to see what we can do. We should connect with Pat or Chris Bailey. They love that shit. We used Me and Patrick Ketze used to do one here on the network called Wrestling Unwrapped, mm-hmm. but then Patrick's work schedule got to the point that he was unavailable to do it, though. I'd love to bring back the old-school wrestling reviews to the mm-hmm. network here, just going back and covering shows. Like I mentioned, I was on the highway to Hell, SummerSlam 98. I just finished it and started a Shine Wrestling show, Shine Volume 20. Um, the, the two things that I did want to talk about here is Eric did mention it. By the time you see this, uh, the Broadhurst Walking Sports Report, Sports in Black and White, should make its full time debut here on the network. In addition, we will also have a special point of viewer edition covering our predictions for the March Madness NCAA
0: men's basketball tournament as well, available here on the network as well. Oh,
4: March is going to be a fun, inebriated month. I my like a game show is going to be in the middle of Prices Right month.
1: Now, uh, uh, just about to get to that. Life is Like a Game Show covers the winner of the greatest game show of all time tournament, The Price is Right. As we open with the episode that you guys would see on March 1st, I believe Tuesdays when we would start this one. As that will cover the Price is Right in pop culture, the, the Bill Cullen era. And there was one other thing, too, from that that Brian will surely correct me on that I'm forgetting here.
4: No, nah, that's pretty much it. Uh, we're talking
3: about price, the original price. We're talking about um, price and popular culture. We're basically reintroducing, you know. The reintroduction into the, the deep dive. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty that's much it. it.
1: Week two, which will air on March 10th here on the network, which would have aired on March 10th here on the Eighth? network. Tuesdays? March 8th. You're right. Tuesdays, March 8th. I apologize. Yeah, schedule changes. Yeah, really. Uh, that one will cover the Bob Barker era of the prices, right? The episode on the 15th will cover the Drew Carey era of the prices, right? And the episode on the 22nd will cover internationals, syndicated, and primetime editions, as well as any other assorted odds and ends that we may have missed during. Meanwhile, Next week, here on the W2M Network, next Sunday night, as a matter of fact, the 27th of March, it will be myself and Mark Rattelich back at you with another edition of the Indie Ciders. As we covered.
2: Go ahead, finish. I just remembered.
1: As we covered Terminus 2. And did we ever decide on a second show?
2: Hang on. What are you telling people we're doing? Uh,
1: Indie Ciders 5
2: with Terminus Terminus 2. Hang on. Yeah, Yeah, March. What did we do? March twentieth, we're doing Terminus two and Prestige and West Coast Pro Wrestling Saturday that's,
1: that's it. Prestige Wrestling. Speaking of which, I just watched I'm getting ready to watch the Roseland show. It looks really good. Uh, Malachi no, That's, that's Malachi. Funny.
2: Malachi. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry.
1: Malachi Black versus Davey Richards.
2: All right. So as as Harry pointed out, because time travel, this is now in the year of our Lord airing on the 20th of March. And yes, this evening, later on this evening, depending on when you're listening to this, we are doing another Indeciders, Terminus 2, and Prestige for Wrestling. Um, so let me get into my plugs. In theory, tomorrow, if, assuming this actually happens, uh, so, source material is dropping an episode dealing with the Sinestro Corpse War. And in the evening, Ronnie Adams and Robert Woodbury are going to try not to get into a sissy slap fight as they convince me that The Legend of Vox Machina is a good show. We'll see what happens, folks. It's going to be an exciting time on TV Party tonight. And then um, I will have just gotten back from vacation, which means I will then have just gotten around to seeing Turning Red and Cheaper by the Dozen, um, both airing exclusively on Disney. Plus. We'll do a DMU Hollywood for that. That'll there's be a, me.
1: There's a new Cheaper by the Dozen coming out? It
2: sure is, Ollie. Um, it'll be myself, David Wright, Alexis Hannah, and Jacqueline In theory, uh,
0: stupid schedule.
2: Um, Wednesday, we will have the Mania of WrestleMania 18 and 19. Uh, in theory, that's gonna just be me and Pat and possibly Neil from um movies that don't suck and some that do. He was really fun on the last AEW show. I'm sure uh he'll have a, a story to tell about WrestleMania's eighteen and nineteen. I think he went to one of those in the evening time because it's like Robert Winfrey week this week. Robert Winfrey will be on the Metal Hammer of Doom talking Sabaton, the war to end all wars. How many tanks do you want in this video? Yes. So that'll be fun. We always love a good Sabaton show. And then David and Robert will be back on Thursday uh, to talk Disenchantment Part 4. Um, This weekend, no boxing as such uh, that we're covering, but we will be re-airing, gearing up for opening day in Major League Baseball. We'll be re-airing our Long Road to <laughs> Ruin for
4: <laughs>
2: the Bad News Bears.
4: <laughs> baseball. <laughs>
2: um, and then actually on opening day, which is March 31st, we'll be re-airing our Long Road to Ruin for Major League. Um, one last plug. That is before- an excellent movie. Yes, it is. Um, before we get out of here, the Academy. I didn't realize baseball was having, having an opening day. <laughs> In theory. That's what, at least that's what it says on my calendar. Uh, the Academy Awards, the Oscars, are a week from when this is airing tonight on the twenty seventh. I I won't be doing any live streams or anything like that because I don't think anyone wants to. But I will be live tweeting and you know to talk uh, putting out there the shows that we covered over the past year that uh, may or may not be winning Oscars. Plus, we'll have a re airing of our that we mentioned before of our debate over Forrest Gump and The Shawshank Redemption. So that's what's going on here on the Rattle Legion Broadcasting Network. Guys, this was a lot of fun. Um, I really appreciate you letting me in on your little world of game shows. This is something I would have never have talked about otherwise. And I hope you're welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so- and, and think of it this way. At least you're talking about game shows, and you're not sitting down going through all kinds of issues with one Randy Isbell going through the best sports movies tournament. That's going to be... It will start at March 13th on point of viewer. Yeah. Yeah. Be prepared. Just you, be prepared.
3: If I may do a traditional life is like a game show close here. I I I do have one one final thing I wanted to add in because I just realized <laughs> wait a minute, we've been talking about this the whole time, but we haven't been talking about this the whole time. Um, if folks would like to know more about the quiz show scandals of the fifties, we have an um, episode. We, first of all, we have an episode about it in our, our own archives. Uh, but secondly, um, what was the end result of this whole entire thing is United States Code Chapter 47, or Title 47, Chapter 5, Subsection 509, Prohibited Practices and Contests of Knowledge, Skill, or Chance. Um, if you Google that, I promise you, you will find more than enough resources to start your own deep dive. Into what happened with the television scandals of the 50s. He, True story. He, he, would, he would know. All right, Harry, take
2: me home, baby doll. All
3: right.
1: You have been listening to On Trial, a W2M Network presentation available online at W2Mnet.com. In addition, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast listening services iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Podbeam, Castbox. Apple Pod, Google Pod, rate and review us five stars on Spotify. And don't forget to join the Discord server. If you prefer to watch if you prefer to watch your podcast, you can find us on twitch.tv, YouTube, or Facebook by searching for W2M Net or W2M Network, respectively, on any of those platforms.
0: Um and we- Twitter.
1: And Twitter as well. Thanks, Eric. I I always forget at least one, but I got Apple and Google Pod this time, so I think I made up for it. This has been on trial, on trial, a presentation of the W two M network.
4: <laughs> Be well, God damn it! <laughs> but like that's your cue, Mark. <laughs> And that
3: goes to show you, folks, life sometimes truly is like a game show.
0: Be Be sure sure to have your executive producers and bracket creators spayed and neutered.
1: Happy birthday on the day of recording, Randy, even if you freaking suck.
2: Be well, be safe, and behave.